I'm excited this morning to share with you my favorite picture that I ever took personally. And there it is. <clears throat> I was in an airport in Amsterdam, I believe it was Amsterdam, somewhere in Europe, and this couple was sitting across from me and I had my camera next to me and I thought, I want to take their picture so badly. And so I snuck the camera into my lap and I tilted it up and I snapped the shot and right as I did, you can see that she saw me. <laughs> and you can also see that she probably wasn't too happy about it. But this I feel like this picture tells a story, like an amazing story. I could stare at this picture forever. Just look at how their feet are positioned almost exactly the same, how their hands are positioned the same, how their faces are wrinkled the same. And it just appears that at this point in their marriage, they don't like each other very much. But, it's not, but that's, not, that's just the story in my head. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to this couple in a little bit. But um, I, I just thought they were amazing and wanted you to see them. So there they are. Uh, we've been talking about outreach and evangelism, a very scary word that Christians don't want to use. And there's connotations to the word because of the word evangelical that become highly politicized. Uh, but when we talk about evangelism, what we're talking about is light bearing. It means we believe that Jesus is the light of the world, that he is the prime example of what mankind ought to be like. And so we want to make him large. We want to let him be seen. But we've also talked about during this series about a, a couple different ways of approaching that and the th theologies of inclusivism and exclusivism and, and that sort of thing. And we, we've, we've talked about what we call bounded set theology versus centered set theology. And bounded set theology is that there are certain boundaries that God is in the middle and there's a boundary that people need to cross to get to the inside. And you're either on the inside or the outside. And for much of Christianity, especially in the West, that's the Christianity they embrace, is that we're trying to move people from the outside in. Whereas a centered set theology, and the theology that I tend to espouse, is more about direction uh, and velocity. It's about a turning towards the center. So we still believe that Jesus is the absolute center of the universe, but we're not as interested in whether they're on the outside or the inside as to whether or not they're approaching him or not, whether they're moving in the direction of Jesus. And so I want to I keep that at the forefront as we talk about this topic because we talked about two ways of herding cattle. And that in order to keep cattle and keep them alive, if you're, if you're a rancher with a, a thousand acres, sometimes you herd the cattle up and you use scare tactics. You get on four-wheelers and you use the dogs to round them up and you put them in cages and that's how you keep them safe. The other method is what they call free-range farming. And in free range, basically, you've got a, well, a water well, you've got a clean source of water and one place that you put good food, and you expect the cattle to kind of stick around in that area. The cattle are absolutely free to roam and go do what they want, but it just makes sense that they would migrate towards the middle. And so that's kind of what we're talking about when we're talking about centered set theology. But then as a Christian, and I recognize that in the room right now there are Christians and non-Christians. I want to always make sure that we recognize in this church, we are a church for not-so-churchy people. Some of you here are gung-ho for Jesus. You, I mean, you want to serve Him, you love Him, you, you worship Him. Others of you maybe are not even interested in that. You're not even sure why you're here. Somebody invited you. Maybe, maybe you're checking this whole thing out. You're on a journey, and you're not sure where that journey ends. And I want to make sure you, you know that you're welcome here, and you're welcome to walk that journey here. And so when we talk about this, I want, to, I, I want to make it known that I'm addressing Christians right now. But the concepts that I'm talking about apply to more kingdom-centered things. So when we talk about the kingdom of God being love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, 
when we talk about the kingdom of God being those things and we embrace a centered set theology, even if you're here and you're not a Christian, so when I talk about going out and sharing Jesus with the world, you might think, no way, no how. But I still want to encourage you to move in the direction that I would describe as the kingdom of God. Clearly, I hope that one day you will see Jesus for who I think he is. That's, I, I wouldn't be a pastor, and I sure wouldn't be a very good pastor if I didn't think that way. But I want to encourage you as we're talking about these principles, apply them where you're at in your spiritual journey. So let's get back to um, this couple. And I've always thought, titled this, Outreach Like an Old Jewish Mama. And the reason being that I found a family tree, a family lineage online one time of these two individuals who were Lithuanian Jews in the 1700s. So obviously not these people, but I still imagine them as the purveyors of this family tree. And so in this family tree, you've got two people, Shalom and Noaj Brudne. That's their names. They're Lithuanian Jews in the, in the late 1700s. And in this portion of their family tree, you see that this, this couple was intimate at least five times that we know of, and probably more because there's, there's more of a family tree up there. So we know at least five times in their marriage that, that they produced a child, that a seed was planted and something great happened. But the interesting thing is we, we only see this little microscopic view of it, and we see that one of their kids had a couple kids. And obviously one of the kids up top somewhere had some kids, at least four kids and probably more. But here's what's fascinating about the family tree of this couple. If you blow it up, this is what it ends up looking like. And it's really spectacular to me that this couple, let's imagine them here, this is them, okay? This couple had a marriage and they were intimate and this occurred. And it's really spectacular. And really what you've got in this family tree is you've got one of their children. Only one of their children is really adequately represented by the, by the rest of this family tree. What you've got in the bottom, you've got one of their kids that had two kids. And for all we know, maybe the line did stop there. We don't know that. But all we, what we do know is that this family tree represents one child of theirs having some kids. So that child had seven kids or eight. It looks like maybe twins at the top, so eight kids. And then one of those kids had a bunch of kids. And, a, and one of those kids, two of those kids had a bunch of kids and so forth until you get over here five, six generations deep. And what we can assume is there's a bunch of kids missing from this family tree. We, can't, we don't know that, but it looks like probably this family tree is much, much bigger than this. But here's my point. This couple was intimate one time and that happened. It's unbelievable. And the, the point I want to make with you today, and, and what, I, what I hope to emphasize with this, is that the moments in your life, they add up to something much, much bigger than you think they do. One conversation today could have this effect on history. One out, I, I remember sitting in front of a, a dorm on campus one week, and, and I, was, I was in a fine mood, but I was sitting there just lost in my thoughts, and I must have looked sad because another college student walked by me, and he comes up to me. He goes, hey, man, everything's going to be okay. Just out of, out of the blue, just randomly, everything's going to be okay. And I will never forget that guy my, because of his courage. Even, even though there was nothing majorly wrong, he was just courageous to bring light into the world right then at that moment. And if I had been somebody sitting there lonely, sitting there beaten up, sitting there ruined, he would have brought light into my life, and who knows the impact that could make. 
So when I talk about evangelism, when I talk about outreach, what I'm talking about is you doing something here, something small, something little bit, little conversation here, little literature passed out here, an invitation to church there. It means a life of little stuff that amounts to something really spectacular that changes history. You know, we, we know the story of, of Moses in, in the Old Testament. And in the story, millions of, of the Israelites are being chased down by an army. And they come to the Red Sea. This is a picture of the Red Sea. They come to the Red Sea and they're trapped. And this, the Red Sea is on one side and the army's on the other. And we all know how the story goes. Uh, e- even non-Christians are very familiar with this story. You've seen the movies. You've seen Charlton Heston do the miracle. It's a, and, and this is what it says that God says to Moses. It says, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And we know how the story ends. He does. He picks up his staff and the waters part and they go through on dry ground. And, and you know, it's just, it's so epic that they've made many, many movies about it. But I want to ask you, what was Moses's part in this whole shindig? Moses picked up a stick. See, we think Moses part of the Red Sea. Moses did not part the Red Sea. Nobody ever did a miracle. Moses just took a staff and held it up. That was his only part in the whole thing. And what I'm saying is, in your life, we think that we have to do something magnanimous. We think we have to do something spectacular. And as, as we get to know Jesus, we think we've got to walk on water, per se. And we really don't. What we've got to do is each day, every day, every conversation, every church opportunity, every missions opportunity, we step up and we pick up a stick. We do, we do what it takes to be obedient in that moment. And God does the rest. God takes a little bit of intimacy in one occasion and creates an entire family tree. You've always heard, how do you eat an elephant? And of course, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. And the way to change the world, the way to get the entire world turning towards Jesus and the kingdom of God is one conversation at a time, one opportunity at a time, one day at a time. So my plan for the next 15, 20 minutes is to tell you stories uh, more stories about times that I, I attempted to pick up a stick, that times that I tried to be obedient to God and it really seems like God showed up or at least the potential for God showing up was there. And the very first time was on the St. Louis Metro out of East St. Louis. Some of you may have heard this story before. Some of my good friends have. But we, uh, me and some buddies, we fly down to Dallas every now and then to hang out with another buddy to go to a Dallas Cowboys game, which is unfortunate, but we do. And we, we do it every two or three years, four years. But we fly, we've flown out of St. Louis a lot of times because St. Louis to Dallas is one-stop one flights or no-stop flights and cheap. So what we do is we park in East St. Louis. We take the metro. So instead of parking at the airport, which would be 40 bucks for four days, we park at the metro, which is $2 to get to the airport and is free parking. So we park way over in Illinois on the East St. Louis side. So we, me and my buddy Chad, we board the metro one day. And we go, we, we go in the cart, and we, we sit in the front row. So he's sitting on the right side of the train. I'm sitting on the left side on the front seats of a particular car in the metro train. At the next stop, a couple gets on on the back of the car, and she is screaming at him, yelling at him. And they're walking down the aisle, and she's saying, you blankety blank, 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 blankety blanker, blank, blank, just cussing him up one side and down the other and saying, you better never, blah, blah, blah. I'm just, whoa, going off. And we're the only people on the train. And he's doing this. He's going, 
baby, you know I hate when you cuss me like that. Why you cuss me like that? And she's, come on now, just, just calm down, okay? And for whatever reason, they walk to the front of the train and they sit directly behind my buddy Chad, one seat behind him. We're the only people on the train and they choose that seat. She's saying, if you blankety-blank ever touch me again, I'll, I, I'll cut you. I will cut you. And I'm looking at Chad, we're like, whoa, this is crazy. And he says, why you got to do that to me? And he gets up and he storms off the back of the train. So it's me and Chad and this lady. And I'm thinking, great, this is fantastic. So I get up from my seat and I step back one seat and I sit down opposite her. I say, I'm HL, what's your name? <laughs> and she looks at me and she says, Jamaica. And I said, your name's Jamaica? She said, yes. I said, Jamaica, that's a beautiful name. And I said, it's a beautiful country. I was there a little while back. They've got this seven-tiered waterfall. And she's looking at me like, you're the craziest person on earth. And I said, listen, Jamaica. I said, this may sound crazy, but I overheard your conversation. <laughs> and I said... I'm just wondering, is there anything I can pray for you about? And she says, you can pray for my marriage. And I'm thinking, you guys are married. There's nothing good about that. You know, my wife and I will have conversations or times in our lives where we don't talk to each other much, but she has never looked at me and said, I will cut you. It's never happened. <laughs> so if you think your marriage has trouble, just remember Jamaica and her husband. She said, you can pray for my marriage. I said, I'll do that. I said, so you guys are, are married? She said, yeah. I said, it looks like you're having trouble. Yeah. And I said, and, and I don't remember exactly how the conversation went, but I said something like, you know, what's your church background? Or, what, you know, do you have people in your life to encourage you? What's your spiritual life? I don't remember how the conversation developed, but I remember we had a pretty decent conversation about church and, and finding some people that will help and, and that it requires smart people and wise people. And she, yes, sir. Yes, sir. People always say, sir, in situations like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And my buddy Chad jumped in and started talking to her, and it just turned into a great conversation. Well, the guy comes back on the train, and he comes storming up the aisle, and he gets up over me like this, because I'm leaning to the side and talking to Jamaica. And he gets up over me, and he says to her, he says, do you know them? Like that. She says, they from the church. I can talk to whoever I want to. He says, but do you know them? And he's like, wah! And... Now, do you think I'm scared at this point? You think I'm a little bit terrified? I'm not because this is the guy I'm with. That's, that's Chad on the right, and Chad is six foot eight, and of course you can tell he looks like the superhero Thor. And I'm thinking, man, you're not looking at my buddy. That's what I'm thinking. And they scream at each other for a second, and she gets up and storms off the train, and he sits down in her seat. And guess what I said? I said, hi, I'm HL. I said, I'm HL. And he tells me his name. He says, that ain't me, man. He says, that ain't me. She just makes me so mad that uh, that stuff ain't, that, that ain't me, man. And I said, I said, well, I said, the Bible teaches that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So obviously, some of that stuff is in there somewhere. He said, I know, I know. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> and so I got to talk to him for a while about his spiritual life and and. and their, their child and their church background. And Chad and I both had this really interesting conversation with this guy. When she wasn't around, he was really calm. And we asked him about church attendance. He said, no, man, I hadn't been in church in a long time. And, and I remember towards, we talked for another five or eight minutes. And towards the end of the conversation, I said, but will you do me a favor? You guys need help. 
And I know that there are churches in your areas that could help you with good counselors, good pastors. They'll take care of you. I said, will you find one and be in a good church this Sunday? He said, yes, yes, sir. I'll do that. I'll do that. Next thing we know, she storms back on the train. And she looks and she goes, <laughs> just kind of throws her hair back and gets off at the next stop. So he, gets, he jumps up and runs after him, and we never have any communication with either of them ever again. It's just boom. It's over, like, just like that. So here's my question. Isn't it possible, just slightly possible, not necessarily certain, isn't it possible that moment turns into this? Isn't it possible that he honored his commitment and he was in church that Sunday and he went to the pastor and said, we need help? I'm not saying he did that, but I'm saying the potential for that. And isn't it possible that as a result of that, his life was changed? And isn't it possible that as a result of that, her life was changed and their kid's life was changed and their kid's kids' lives were changed and their community was changed? Isn't it possible? I don't know the results. I can tell you a bunch of times in my life when I've been able to see interesting results, but in this particular case, I just don't know. Now, isn't it also possible that if I had just sat there terrified, me and Chad sat there going, oh man, she is a wild one. I am not talking to her. Doesn't that kind of diminish the possibility of this? See, I'm just a believer that if you'll just step out and you'll stick your hand out and say, hey, my name is, how can I help in this situation? God will show up. God can do neat stuff. Last week I talked about street preaching at Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland. And it was really interesting that same day, the very first time I ever open air preached, um, we were doing a drama called The Mask. And in this drama, people, there, there's a guy who's at home and people keep coming to his door and knocking and each one of them is a different personality type. One is the jock, one is the martial artist, one is the, the headbanger, one is the disco person. And each time he looks through the people, he sees who they are and he puts the mask on so that he can match their personality. So it's this whole drama we do about masks and how everybody wears masks. Well, while we're doing this drama, we notice these three guys on a bench nearby watching. And you can see them become really animated and they're like really getting into it and talking about it like, whoa, this is, somehow this drama is blowing their minds. So we approach these three gentlemen after the drama is over and say that. Looks like you were really into the drama. Why is that? And they were just tripping out. They said, you know, we, we're on an assignment today. And they, they were all three atheists. And they said, we're on an assignment today. And we were required to go out and observe people and write an essay on the topic, the masks we wear. And they just happened to end up on that bench that day. And by the end of the conversation, they were saying things like, this probably couldn't be coincidence. Now, I'm not, I'm not telling, and I, it was a great conversation. We talked about Jesus and we talked about our beliefs. Isn't it possible us getting up and performing a drama turned into that? I don't know if it did or didn't, but I know it's possible. I was in uh, a Caribbean country, and I want to somewhat safeguard the identity of this person that I'm going to talk about. But I'm in a Caribbean country, and the reason I put the hat and glasses on there is because those represent the person. And I'm out doing a little spiritual inventory survey, and it was just a way to dialogue with people about Jesus and introduce conversation with people. So we'd say, hey, would you mind taking a questionnaire? And people say yes, and so we ask them questions, and it's things like, what's your take on Jesus? And do you believe in heaven and hell? And what's your take on the Bible? And, and so forth. And we get to the end of the conversation, and, and so this guy comes up wearing a, a hat like that, glasses like this, only they were mirrored. And uh, I just remember his shirt being unbuttoned down to here with a big gold chain. And had, this, had a great survey, and by the end of it, it was very clear that he, he was 
Christian in, in his head, but there was some major disconnect. And so I just asked him, I said, it seems like you've got a bunch of understanding, but there's something, there's something going on here that, tell me about it. What's, what's really going on at the end of the survey? He says, man, he said, I just love my sin too much. He says, I'm going there. He says, the reason I met you today is because I'm going there. And he points at this building behind me. And I have no idea what's there. I, I suspect it was probably a, a prostitute's house. I, that, that's, from the rest of the conversation, that's the vibe I got. He said, and I, he said I, I, I go there, and he said, I just, I just love my sin. And so I said, I, said, I, said, I, can, I said, I can appreciate that. I said, a lot of people can relate to that. Um, I said, but I want to share something with you. And I, and I shared something very, very specific. And I won't go into details, but I mean, it was, it was ridiculously specific. I said, I said, this is something you ought to try. This is something that will, will help. And while I'm talking, his jaw just drops. He's sitting there staring at me like, who, like, like some ghost has appeared. And I said, what? I said you're kind of freaking out here. What, what's the deal? He says, you're not going to believe this. He said, but last night I met a woman, and she told me exactly the same thing you're telling me right now that I should do. I said, how old are you? And he, I think he said 53. I said, I said in all your years, has, has anybody ever even mentioned this possibility to you? He said, never, not once. I said, so in two days, somebody comes to you and gives you the exact same advice as to how to get your life on track. He said, yeah. And uh, at the end of the con- and this is really interesting. At the end of the conversation, he said, he said I was going there, but I'm going to go this way. And so there was this literal turning towards that I got to physically observe in front of me. Wherever he was going, and I don't know what he was doing, it might have been a, a place of corruption. Because here's how it turns out. He, said, he gives me his business card. He says, call me tomorrow. I said, all right. So I call him, and his secretary answers the phone. And I asked, I asked to talk to him. I'll call him Mike. I said, can I talk to Mike? And she said, yeah, absolutely. And he gets on the phone. He says, I did it! Very first thing he says to me. He says, I did it! I said, I d- you did what? He says, I gave my life to Jesus. I, he said, here, ask my secretary. And he hands the phone back to her. And I said, hello? She says, he did it. <laughs> and I have, I have no idea what was going on in this man's office. But apparently it was already affecting his secretary. And she gave it back to him. And, and he talked for a while about how excited he was and how he had been enrolled in a Bible college at one point And he had dropped out. And, and now he was really thinking about going back. But here's something really fascinating about that situation. This guy is the head of the Ministry of Public Works over this country that I was in, which is the equivalent of a cabinet minister with our president. And he happened to come along that day headed in one direction, and I did something very simple. I picked up a stick. I just asked him some questions on a survey and gave him some advice. Nothing magnanimous. But isn't it possible, again, isn't it possible that that's how things turn out? Very simple stuff. Opening up dialogues, talking to people. I got a ton of stories. Um, I was in Gautau, Thailand, a little island in South Thailand. And when you're scuba diving, they pair you up with what they call a dive buddy. I've talked about that in here before. And my dive buddy, it was, when I, it was the very first time I ever went diving. And you do classroom instruction, and then you have five dives to complete the certification. And my dive buddy was this guy, uh, we'll call him Jay, Jay from Manchester, England. And Jay, I have pictures of Jay, and anytime, this has actually happened a couple times, anytime ladies are flipping through my Thailand album and come to him, there's an audible gasp because he's so good looking. Like he's the new James Bond, you know, wears a Rolex, never wears a shirt, and has muscles 
popping out of his forehead. I mean, just this beautiful guy. I'm, I'm as straight as they come, but I was like, man, he is really good looking. <laughs> so much so that it's intimidating to be around him. And then he's got this thick British accent. And, you know, between dives, he would, he would, we would go to pubs together, and you could see that every female eye in the whole room turned towards him. And so we would dive together, and we'd, we did our classroom instruction together, because you're never supposed to be further than two kick strokes away from your, your dive buddy underwater. So we have to be kind of attached at the hip. And I'm just feeling frumpy and ugly for like three days. <laughs> and on the third or fourth day, we're sitting on the deck of one of these boats up top, and they serve you fresh watermelon and pineapple between dives. So we're laying there sunning, eating fresh watermelon and pineapple, and talking about life. And he's, he's talking about basically every party he's ever been at, every girl he's ever slept with, every time he got high. That's, that's the, the essence of his conversation. And, and I don't think this whole thing is about those things. I want to make that clear. But at some point I asked him, what kind of music do you like? And he, he mentioned Eminem. This was back in whenever it was, the late 90s, something like that. And a couple other bands. And then he asked me, he said, what kind of music do you like? And I, I said, well, I'm a Christian, and so I listen to a lot of Christian music, but I like these various styles. I like rock and jazz and blues and, and a bunch of eclectic stuff. And, and, and Jay gets up. Off, so we're laying on our backs, staring at the clouds, and he sits up like this. And then he stands up, and he starts pacing. And he starts going, <laughs> I'm like, dude, what is, what is happening? And he says, God works in mysterious ways, which is the Bible verse that's not actually in the Bible, but that every non-Christian knows is in the Bible, not in there. But, it, but he says, God works in mysterious ways. I said, man, sit down. You're freaking me out. What, what is going on? He says, I lied to you, man. I said, what did you lie to me about? He said, I don't own a car dealership in Manchester. He said, this isn't even a real Rolex. <laughs> and he says, he says, I don't own a car dealership. I only work there for my cousin. He says, I just got out of jail. I've been in jail for four years. And he says, he says I'm just, he says, I came here to Thailand because I want to try to get my life back together. He says, he says when I was in, the, when I was in, in jail, he said, I read the New Testament through four times. He said, I just don't think I can do it. I don't think I can live that kind of life. And so we started having these really interesting conversations. We're attached to the hip for the next 48 hours, having these really great conversations. And the night before he flies out back to England, he sits at a beach in Thailand with me, white sand beach, picnic table, big yellow umbrella. He sits there, and we pray this really heartfelt, sincere prayer together where he just wants to follow Jesus and let Jesus invade his life. And the next day he flew out, and we stayed in touch after that long time on uh, MySpace back then. Um, and we really wanted to bring him to the States, but apparently his crimes involved firearms, and he was forbidden to come here. Uh, and, and then something happened to my MySpace account, and we lost touch completely. And, but he was, he was making some really interesting strides in his life, really, really amazing stuff going on. And I want to point out my part in that whole deal. I said Christian music. That's, all, that's it. I just said I, I'm a Christian, so I listen to some Christian music. And he's all, oh, God is here. <laughs> is he? What? You know, 
But, but that's my point is if, you, if you'll just represent Jesus, love Jesus, and be willing to step through those, those doors when they open and, and willing to live it out in front of people unashamedly, not, not like a bully that beats it up over, over people's heads all the time, but be passionate about the center of the universe. It's Jesus. And let that be the center of your universe, and you'll, you'll see. You'll see all kinds of stuff. This is Am. I'll, I'll, I'll close with her story. Uh, Tantawa Senquad is her name. I met her at Murray State University, again, doing a spiritual inventory survey, going out and asking people, what's your take on Jesus? And she was Buddhist at the time I met her. And Am is about five foot one, very cool girl. And at the, at, at the end, it was very clear she was a Buddhist. So I said, are you a practicing Buddhist or like a cultural Buddhist. She said, what's the difference? I said, well, a, a practicing Buddhist is one who believes in the tenets of Buddhism and, and aspires to be like the Buddha or to achieve nirvana and, and kind of puts it into their daily life. Cultural Buddhist is just a Buddhist because their country and their family is. She said, oh, I'm the second kind. She said, I don't, I don't even really think about it very much. She said, but what I do is I pray to the spirits every night before I go to bed that they won't kill me. And I don't know if you've been in, in the Far East, but a lot of times they'll have amulets and necklaces, and the cab drivers will have flowers hanging from their rearview mirrors, and they have tattoos, and all of that is to protect them from spirits. Because they believe if you appease the spirits, then you'll get favor, and if you don't appease the spirits, then you'll get their displeasure and bad stuff will happen. That's why they all have um, altars in all their places of business all throughout Thailand, and they give them Fanta orange juice. I don't know why the spirits like Fanta, but they do apparently. And so I, I told him, I said, I said, something along the lines of, I understand why you think that way, and I've been to Thailand, and I know the culture, and, and, but I want to tell you something, that I'm a believer that if you will be filled with the biggest spirit there is, you don't have to fear all these piddly little nothing spirits. And she wanted to know about that. And we ended up meeting for coffee with a couple friends the next week, and then the week after that talking, and we developed this relationship, and she started coming to our Bible studies. And the short is, she became a water-baptized, excited Christian soon after, and she didn't pray in fear before she went to bed every single night. So whether you embrace Christianity or not, there was this transition that occurred in here where she wasn't afraid anymore. She didn't walk around scared all the time. And Am went back to Thailand and started prayer groups on three of the major universities in Bangkok. And the universities in Bangkok are different than the universities here. There's about 60 to 80,000 students on every single one of them. And she just went hog wild, walking everywhere, taking public transport, going to these universities, and starting prayer ministries. And when, when my wife, Kara, and I visited her several years back, uh, we attended the church that she went to. And on that day, they baptized something like 14 or 20 new believers. And of those 14 or 20 new believers, Am had directly impacted probably 75% of them. You see, she, she found the center and went after Jesus and then wanted to help as many possible people see him as well. I want to ask you, this is a picture I took that day of people being baptized. And I don't mean this to be derogatory in any sense. There's a point to it. But this person on the right in the yellow shirt, is that a guy or a girl? What do you think? How many people think it's a guy? Nobody wants to. I just mentioned transgender issues, and everybody is paralyzed with fear. How many think it's a guy? Anybody? How many think it's a girl? Okay. This is, this is a gentleman who was, was, going through, was transitioning to be female and had, had gone through um, maybe top surgery, I think, and had done some of the hormone treatments. So, so he was you know, losing his body hair, and his voice was changing, and his Adam's apple was shrinking, or you know, whatever happens during transition. And, and, and my point isn't to talk about that issue at all, except to say this. This is a person who, in front of my eyes that day, 
was baptized as a commitment to follow Jesus. Can that person reach people and influence people that I could never in a million years hope to connect with? Can't we probably all look at the situation and say, yeah, definitely. He can relate to people that I can't relate to, connect with people that I can't connect to. Whatever ended up happening with his transition, that's not the point. We can talk about those issues separately. The point is, I went out on campus one day. I called up my buddy Bill, said, hey, let's go do surveys. Bill said, yeah, because Bill was always up for doing something. We went out, and we asked a few questions to a little Thai girl, about five foot one, five foot two, that came by. And all of a sudden, way over across the globe, people are being baptized, people are being transformed, and people who can have influence that I could never have. And that's my point today, is that this turned into this. You guys have always heard about the mighty oak started like a nut like you. That turns into this. Jesus said this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a seed, the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and make nests in their branches. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven hidden in the measures of flour till it was all leavened. You put leaven in, in flour and you mix it all up until it permeates everything and then the flour rises. An acorn turns into a, an incredible tree. This, these were the parables of Jesus. And he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. C.S. Lewis has this amazing quote, and then I'm done. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. It's in the book, The Great Divorce, which is my second favorite book next to the Bible. Everyone should read it. You're kind of not even a Christian if you haven't read The Great Divorce. And in The Great Divorce, this spirit is talking to a man, and the man has something awful on him. It's almost like a tumor. It's a, it's an, it's a creature, actually, but it's burning him and, and causing problems. And the angel, the spirit, offers to remove it for him, but he knows that the process will be painful. So the man says, well, let me think about it for a while. Give me a moment. And this is how the angel replies. He says, this moment contains all moments. And that's something to chew on for a while. But here's partially what I think C.S. Lewis was trying to convey. When he says, this moment, this moment contains all moments, this is what he's talking about. This is what he's talking about. The seed contains everything that will become a tree. This moment of intimacy, this one seed that's planted becomes a lineage of people that will saturate history. And this moment for you, this moment today, every day, every conversation, every person that's your coworker, every opportunity and organization you find yourself in is this, and it is right now. What you do right now shapes everything for tomorrow. Everything then is contained in the moment right now. And so let's be people that take the moment to turn people, to help people see the center, to make Jesus look good every opportunity we can, knowing that this moment contains every moment.